All right, Titus 3 um, is going to tell us the fruit of a healthy church, fruit of a healthy life, which uh, every time we look at a tree, we can tell, especially if it's a fruit tree, we can tell if it's healthy, if it has fruit. If it only has leaves, you're like, ah, something's not quite right because that tree is supposed to bear this kind of fruit that we can enjoy. And if it's not bearing fruit, something's wrong. So in Titus 3 is the fruit of a healthy church, healthy lives, godly lives of the rest of the book. And it's a short book. And we have looked at uh, how to have a healthy church uh, from salvation in Titus 1 to healthy leadership, uh, confronting uh, false teaching at the end of Titus 1. To everyone in the church, helping each other to grow, to be more godly. Uh, even slaves uh, can help a healthy church uh, to be godly. And then if uh, the people in the church are struggling with helping each other, they need more of the grace of God that's found at the end of Titus 2. So we started last week in Titus 3 looking at uh, good works in verse 1, that we are to be ready for every good work. So there's an expectation if you're healthy as a believer and you're godly, there's going to be obvious fruit in your life that's going to influence other people to be godly. And so what are some of the specifics of the good works that uh, besides ministering to each other, uh, the qualifications, it seems, of the older and the younger men and their uh, ways to help other people is Titus 2. But broader now for everyone in Titus 3 is how to uh, look at those outside the church, the rulers and authorities of verse 1. We looked at this last week and to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling and to be gentle, which is considerate and show perfect courtesy toward all people. And what helps us uh, to live this way as Christians is to remind ourselves of what we have been saved from. Um, and in a Cretan culture, Titus 1.12, um, everyone, if everyone on the islands like this, all unbelievers, all believers who got saved as adults at least can remember a time when they were like Titus 1.12. And he puts more detail uh, than just those three things in Titus 1.12 in the beginning of chapter 3, verse 3. And then he changes gears uh, from remembering what you were saved from to remembering what God did, why God did it. He, he saved us because he is good and his loving kindness appeared. He sent Christ. And then we got to verse 5 last week. And so I'm just going to read verse five. That'll give us the context, uh, continuing the thought into verses six and seven. It's all really kind of one long sentence. So I'll start in verse four. But when um, the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according, according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So God saves us, uh, and he sends Christ. So the Father, he's called God our Savior, that's the Father, in verse 4. And then the Father uh, sends the Son, and that's how we see the Father. That's when he appears. He appears in the person of the Son. And then the Son 
sends the Holy Spirit, verse 6. Whom he, that's the Father, pours out on us, pours into us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's a lot there, but all three members of the Trinity are in this one verse. The Father uh, pours on us or into us richly through Jesus Christ. So it's pouring into our lives, uh, and it matches what we saw in Romans 5, verse 5 that the Holy Spirit is poured into our hearts. And here he is poured into us richly. So not a little bit. We get all of, we are filled with the Spirit. Um, and so when we are saved, we are indwelt with the Spirit. All that we need, and when you hear the word richly, you're like, okay, anyone who has riches has an abundance of something. That's why they're rich. And so we as believers have an abundance of the Holy Spirit. All right. And so this is going to play into verses one and eight. He's talking in this context about good works. So good works, an essential part of our producing good works is that we were reminded of what we were like before salvation. And then all that God did to rescue us and at the moment of our salvation, God, the father, pours the Holy Spirit richly into us. And then look at the end of verse six. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. What does Jesus Christ, our Savior, have to do with the Holy Spirit being inside of us? Well, Jesus said in John 14, 15, 16, that I've got to go to the Father. And when I go to the Father, I'm going to send the Spirit. So who sends the Spirit? The Father or the Son? And the answer, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not an or, it's an and. Okay, so the Father sends the Spirit. And then the day of Pentecost, when Peter's preaching, he says, we know, you guys know that something happened because we are unlearned fishermen and other people, and we're speaking languages that we didn't study. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to give an, a reason why they're speaking languages that they didn't study, that people can understand them. And he's going to say, Jesus is in heaven at God's right hand, and he's the one who sent the Spirit. So Jesus promised he would, he, and this is proof that he is at the right hand of the Father, that, that we have the Spirit. You guys have seen the Spirit, and now Christ, who you crucified, is at God's right hand, and he's the one who sent the Spirit. So helping the Jewish audience there connect the person of Christ to the work of the spirit and they wanted the spirit. So they had to submit to Jesus as Lord. And he told them that at the end of acts two, that's how they were saved. So everyone's saved the same way that the father uh, has designed salvation this way. It's according to his own mercy. It's not by our works. Okay. God has mercy on us because we are like verse three of Titus three. We are foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves of various passions and pleasures, and passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Every unsaved person is like this. It's just a levels of degree of, of how, how these uh, operate. This is the fruit of an unsaved life. But we are saved from that lifestyle for good works to live like verse 2. And so we have to re always be reminded, uh, reminding ourselves of what the Father has done, what the Spirit, where the Spirit is, 
how much of the spirit we have, we have him richly, and it is through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So back-to-back verses, well, four and six, we see the same phrase, our Savior. So compare the end of verse four with the end of verse six. And what do you see there? Our Savior. Well, what is unique about those two? The same word, but what's unique about? God versus Jesus. Right. Both our Savior. So which is it? Is God the Father our Savior or is Jesus Christ our Savior? And the answer is the same. Yes. <laughs> okay. God is our Savior. Why? Because he has designed salvation. He's the architect of our salvation. Does he get credit for saving us? Absolutely. And in this passage, it says he saved us. He saved us by, um, by this way. So Christ, is he our Savior? Well, yes, he became sin for us who knew no sin. So it's not a um, contradiction here. It is a more complete picture of the Father and the Son. So when the Son says, if you see me, you see the Father. And what do we see? We see our Savior. And we are to re be reminded good works are not distinct from our salvation they're because of our salvation. Good works, and when we remember our salvation, we want to serve him. It's not like, oh, we have to. No, 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 this isn't how we live the Christian life. <laughs> unless we are forgetting all that God has done to save us, unless we're forgetting, verse 3, all that he saved us from. But if we have in our minds, like we did last Sunday with communion, keeping our salvation in front of us, all that the Father has done, all that the Son has done, all that the Spirit is doing in us because of the work of the Son and the Father, then we have, this is how we are reminded. Verse 7, why does God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit do this for us in saving us? So that is a purpose. Being justified by his grace. So I thought we were saved by his mercy. Because according to his mercy, he saves us. Who needs mercy? People of verse 3. Verse 3 people need mercy because we're foolish and disobedient. and We're pretty gross sinners. Who needs grace? Everybody. <laughs> Everybody, right? People who are, who needs a, well, grace is a powerful gift. Who needs a powerful gift? If you're in deep debt, you need a powerful gift to that can relieve you of that debt. So grace is someone who is weak. Mercy is someone who is sinful, rotten, and doesn't uh, we don't get what we deserve by God being merciful. Grace is we're just weak. We need help. We need a powerful gift. And we are being justified by his grace. All right, so we're putting this together. We're not saved by our good works. Our good works, the best we could do was verse three, which is filthy rags. According to his mercy, according to his goodness, according to his loving kindness, according to his powerful grace, all of these are at work in the Father, Son, and Spirit 
to accomplish for us what he wants to happen in our salvation so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Heirs. I looked up, I just did a quick Google search on who inherited the largest amount of money or real estate. And recently in the news, about a year ago, uh, when Queen Elizabeth dies uh, a year ago, her grandson, uh, Prince William, inherited an estate that is worth $1 billion. Mm -hmm. All right. Plus everything else he has, right? <laughs> okay, so it's like, oh, all right. That is a, and anyone else, if you imagine billionaires that pass away, uh, their children, grandchildren likely are going to inherit much of their, much of their wealth in an instant. But to be in line, you have to be an heir. I can't just say, you can't just say, I know so-and-so, I'm a friend of them. Well, that doesn't give you right to an inheritance unless they write you in the will and you're that close of a friend. But anyone who is adopted into a family should be a rightful heir. And anyone who is born into a family is a rightful heir. So we are, because of our salvation, and this is all playing into why do we have the fruit of our salvation, which is good works, which looks like gentleness and avoiding certain things back in verse two. So verse uh, seven concludes with, we might become. So how do we become heirs? <clears throat> we become heirs because of his grace. So when you see, understand grace means powerful gift, an heir puts you in the lineage of receiving that gift, it makes sense, okay? So the only reason any of us are in God's family is because we have been saved by grace through faith. And what does Ephesians 2 says? We are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's our position. What an inheritance is ours because we were once dead and now we're alive. So he borrows some of that. He uses some of the same language here. He says, heirs according to the hope We'll just stop there. Heirs according to the hope. If you are an heir of a billionaire, you have a hope that when your loved one dies, you're going to have a lot of money, a lot of assets. Okay. That's a hope. And that hope is uh, likely your relative is going to leave you and hope that you will carry on their legacy, carry on the business. Use it in an honorable way and not just waste it like the prodigal son wasted his inheritance, right? So God saves us uh, by his grace so that we can become heirs according to the hope. What is our hope? It's not a lot of money. It's something better. It's eternal life. Can you put a price on eternal life? If you talk to billionaires, would they give all of their fortune for eternal life? You'd say, eh, maybe not. But right after they died, they definitely would. They'd say, can I go back and can I purchase this? No, it's already been purchased. It's free. But you have to submit to Jesus as Lord. Well, I didn't do that as a billionaire because their money was Lord or other things were Lord of their lives. And they weren't believers in Christ alone. But we are different as believers 
followers of Christ. We are heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, all that God has done for us in because he is good and loving kind and his saving us and his mercy and his righteousness and his washing of regeneration and his renewal and his pouring out the spirit richly in us through the work of Christ and causing us to be justified by his grace and making us heirs according to the hope of eternal life. What do you think he's going to say in verse eight? Well, let's read verse eight. The saying is trustworthy. You can take this to the bank. This is a check that's not going to bounce. When God promises something, he carries it through. We have the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1 says, as a guarantee of our inheritance that we are sealed. So this saying is trustworthy. You have this hope, and this hope isn't a, I wish, it was wishful thinking. No, this hope of eternal life is trustworthy. All that God does for us in salvation is trustworthy. And I want to insist on these things. And this word insist is a very strong confidence, a confidence that you're trying to give to someone else. Okay, so Paul's got the confidence of his salvation. Titus has confidence of his salvation. And in ministry, we pass on confidence in God, his work, surety of our salvation, the hope of eternal life, all that you saw there. We're passing it on to other people in ministry so that, let's keep reading verse 8. I want you to insist on these things. Okay, so Titus is teaching and preaching and bringing uh, these ungod once ungodly people along. So now their lives look more and more godly. They're trusting God more. They're hoping more in eternal life and not in this world. So they are trusting in the Lord. And Paul says, I want you to insist on these things and give this confidence to other people so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. So when we have this kind of hope and surety and trustworthiness and other people are insisting that we keep um, these things before us as we do as a church, what is the, what, what can we expect out of the life of every Christian? Well, every Christian should be careful to devote themselves to good works, serving, serving one another. This is parallel to verse one. So remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready for every good work. We're not, we said we weren't ready. If we're unsubmissive, we're disobedient. We're not ready if we are quarreling or speaking evil of people. We're not ready if we're like the ungodly people of Titus 1 or 2. We are ready for good works when we are gentle and showing perfect courtesy. When And it's this is all in the context of reminding, verse 1. Remind them. Remind them what they were saved from. Remind them all that God the Father, Son, and Spirit have done to rescue them. And remind them the purpose of this is so that every Christian would be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Every single person on the planet wants a God who is loving, kind, and good.
every person on the planet should want to be saved. Mm -hmm. They would want God's mercy. They would want his regeneration and renewal, but not a, not very many are, but Christians are different. We're very different than the world. Throughout this book, it is night and day difference between the ungodly and the godly. And godly people are being very careful to devote themselves to good works. So what does this look like? This looks like we are ready to serve people. That's what good works are. We are free from our sin so that we can serve other people. We are free from what the world is doing and how they treat people, because how they treat people is pretty ugly back in Titus 1.12. We're free from that. We are free because Christ has set us free. The Holy Spirit's inside of us to make sure we are obedient to, to the Father, and the Father and all of his grace and mercy has rescued us and given us wonderful hope of eternal life. So why we have no reason not to serve him. And according to Titus, it's probably through the local church. This is where we serve God, through the local church. Because the local church is where we have sound doctrine, where we have elders, where we have older and helping the younger, uh, slaves serving too. Uh, all of this is happening through healthy, uh, a healthy local church. And um, we are responsible as believers to be careful to devote ourselves to good works and remind ourselves these things are excellent and profitable for people.